This dynamic message is brought to you by Redemption in Jesus with Marco Bravo. The first week we looked at, you know, why we needed new identity and new life in Jesus. Then last week we looked at what new life in Jesus is and what it looks like. And so today the goal is for us to look at what identity, new identity in Jesus is and what that looks like. How we should uh, you know, live in it and how sh- we should enjoy it and understand and realize that we have new identity in Jesus. Amen. Praise God. <clears throat> now, I know for myself, I am a United States citizen, as you know, so is Helena. We all are. But while we were in the process of becoming citizens, and it took us nine hard, nine and a half, almost ten years to become U.S. citizens. It was hard. It was tough. We had to prove ourselves. We had to show evidence. We were interviewed by an FBI agent for our final interview. And we went through the whole process. And praise God that we did that. Praise God that it was, it's wonderful. And, you know, I remember that ceremony when we stood with our hands on our hearts and we sang the national anthem for the first time as United States citizens. To this day, it brings tears to my eyes. But anyway, it was such a joy. But, you know, and praise God, I embrace my South African upbringing. I embrace my South African ID. And while I was there, I gave it my all because that's where God wanted me. And, but I know for a fact that if I tried to do anything else in the United States now with that old identity that I had, people would laugh at me because it's invalid. I I cannot do anything with it here in the United States. As a citizen, I need to use my new identity and I have a new life and I need to live that new life that I have. And that's what we've been doing. And you know, that's kind of a dim example or illustration of what you and I have in Jesus. But it helps us understand the truth that who we were in Adam is old, it's gone, it's dead, quite honestly. And we have new identity and new life in Jesus as, you know, having received salvation in Jesus. And this is why the heart of the series is to convey that and solidify that even more in our hearts so that we can live by their identity, so that we can live that new life that we have in Jesus. Amen. As I said today, we are going to look at our new identity in Jesus today specifically. So if you missed any of these, I want to encourage you to go back to our website and click on sermons. You'll see it there. It's on, on the most recent. Go through that series. Listen to part one. You can watch it as well. Uh, and then part two, and then you'll be on par. But either regardless, if you missed any of those, today is still going to be a blessing to you. And so <clears throat> let's have a look at our title of of our series, Our New Life and Identity in Jesus. And this is part three. And in part three specifically, as I said, we are looking at our new identity in Jesus. And all the scriptures will be on the screen. Whatever I share with you is going to be on the screen. But of course, once this is uploaded on our website a day or two from now, you'll be able to also download or view online on your browser the scripture slides that we use today. So that will be available as always as well. All right, let's begin by looking at Romans chapter 5 and verse 19 from the Passion Translation. 
Beautiful portion here. Watch what it says. One man's disobedience, that's referring to Adam, opened the door for all humanity to become sinners. So right there we see how God identifies with those who are in Adam, who have not received salvation in Jesus. And it's not that he's trying to be mean. That's what they are. That's their nature because of Adam's disobedience. So the identity of fallen humanity, or better put, unsaved humanity, is that of a sinner. So anyone before receiving salvation in Jesus is identified by God as a sinner. Then it says, so also one man's obedience, that's talking about Jesus now, opened the door for many to be made perfectly right. In other words, be given right standing before God, be righteous with God and acceptable to him. You see, a sinner unfortunately is not acceptable to God because God is holy, God is pure, so is heaven, and you cannot have that in heaven. But one who receives salvation in Jesus is redeemed, and therefore they become perfectly righteous with him, perfectly in right standing with him, and thus acceptable to him. Why is that? Because their identity changes, right? You can see that from that. By default, in fallen Adam, we inherit the identity of a sinner. And the life we have as a sinner is sinful. When we receive salvation in Jesus, we receive new identity because the old identity is put to death on the cross. Remember, I showed you that already. And so we receive new identity in Jesus and also we receive new life. We're restored into relationship with God because the life of a sinner is out of relationship with God. They cannot have a relationship with God because they are a sinner by identity. And so that's what this is showing us here. So God sees those in Adam as sinners in their life as sinful, therefore alienated from him, right? They're not in relationship with him. That's why they needed new life. We looked at all that last week. And praise God for redemption in Jesus. Wouldn't you agree with me? I mean, you just want to jump and say, praise God for redemption. Because with that redemption, we received new identity and we received new life. Praise God. And so through redemption in Jesus, we receive new identity and new life. Let's take a quick look at that. Romans chapter 6, the second part of verse 4, and then verse 6 <clears throat> from the King James. That, like as Christ was raised up from the dead... By the glory of the Father, watch us now, even so we should walk in newness of life. So right there it shows us that when we receive salvation in Jesus, because of what Jesus did through his finished work on the cross, we receive new life. And that means that we can now relate to God because that new life, as far as God is concerned, is not sinful. Then in verse 6 it says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. That's talking about our old identity in fallen sinful Adam. That the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So in that verse 6, you see that we also received new identity. So we received new life, we receive new identity in Jesus. Praise God for that. Amen. And so in Jesus, then... God no longer identifies the believer, 
that's you if you're a believer, if you receive salvation in Jesus. God no longer identifies you as a sinner and he does not ident- see your life as sinful. Yes, we make mistakes. Yes, we still mess up here and there. But the point is, is, is that like Pastor Helena shared during communion, we were forgiven of all of our sin at the cross. Because if Jesus didn't do it, then he didn't do it at all, right? And so we were forgiven for all of our sin, praise God. And so because of that, God no longer sees you, believer, as a sinner. He doesn't identify you that way. And neither does he identify or see your life as sinful. This is gospel truth, and I'm giving you all the scripture to show you that. But let's have a look at that, just to make sure we back up that point, that that's how God sees us now. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, from the Amplified Translation. We're building up to where we're going here, okay? It says, But it is from Him, that's God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us, look at this, He became this to you, Just like, you know, when one of my sisters had a child, I became uncle to them. That's kind of how you can relate that phrase. So it says that from God, you're in Christ Jesus, and Jesus became to you. Watch this. Wisdom from God, which means revealing his plan of salvation, and righteousness. And that's what this means. Making us acceptable to God. In other words, giving us right standing with God. Jesus became that to you. And sanctification. What does that mean? Making us holy and setting us apart for God. So Jesus became these things to you. And redemption, that means providing a ransom from the penalty of sin. So in that portion right there, without doubt, and there's many others that back this up, you can see so clearly that Jesus became all of this to you and I. Meaning that no God no longer sees us, identifies with us as sinner, and neither does he see our life as sinful. Now, if for any reason anyone thinks that that is now reason or license, as people say, to go in sin and just do what you like, well, then you're getting me all wrong. That means that you need some other type of heart surgery. Isn't that so? Because who would want to do that understanding what Jesus has done for us? Amen. We need to trust God that his nature will flow out of us, and it does, and it will. Amen. So, you know, anyone who says that is clearly a legalist and just wants to twist what we're saying here, because that's not at all what's implying. The reason why we are redeemed is so we can live a redeemed life, not to be given the freedom to do whatever we like. Amen. But anyway, so the good news here, the point is, is that we receive New life, new identity, meaning that God no longer sees us as a sinner. This is why we can't say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, because that means you don't understand the gospel. No, you are the redeemed of the Lord. You are a new creation, praise God. And you don't have a sinful life. You have a redeemed life. You have a perfect and holy life before God. Amen. That's what we've seen here so far. And so beyond salvation, God sees the believer, as we've seen there, as righteous, as holy, and in relationship with him. We discussed all that last week as far as the new life, right? And so that's where you are. That's your standing before God. So he no longer sees uh, the believer. He no longer sees you in the identity and in the life that you had in Adam. No, he sees you with new identity and new life in Jesus. 
praise God for that. Amen. I wish that I could hear some of those hallelujahs and amens. And if, the, if this doesn't thrill and excite you and want you to make amen, then maybe, I don't know. I don't know what to say, but I'm going to say anything. And so last Sunday, as I said, we looked at what new life in Jesus is. So today, we are going to look at what new identity in Jesus is. We're going to amplify that a little bit more to give us greater understanding. But also, I'm going to share some illustrations with you that I believe are really going to bring that truth home even deeper and harder and more solid for us. Amen. So, let's talk about identity in Jesus a little bit. This new identity that we receive from God. Well, biblically speaking, biblically speaking, identity is how God identifies with us and as a result, how he relates to us. Did you hear what I said? Identity is how God identifies us or identifies with us and also how he relates to us. Amen. That's important to understand. Let me give you just some illustrations that I can think of to help us bring that truth home. You know, Queen, uh, the Queen of England, when she had uh, a daughter, she has, still has a daughter, of course. She's no longer with us, but the daughter's still there. When, que- when the Queen, when her daughter was young, real young, kind of, you know, a child, uh, they were out having one of their official events and, you know, present there and they were sitting down and I think they were having tea. And, you know, the queen's young child, daughter, she was sitting on a chair, but she was slouching and she was just being awkward the whole time and just not sitting like she should, <laughs> like royalty should. And so the queen just gently bent over and whispered in her ear and said to her, my dear, you need to sit up and sit properly. Remember, and then she said this, remember who you are. And that was it. The little girl just sat up and from then on she was all fine because she had been trained and taught. And so when you think about that, <coughs> you know, to us it may be, oh, that's too strict, that's too much. But that's the point. That's the reason why people around the world love the queen, they love the royal family, <coughs> and they appreciate them because of their values and the life and the example that they set. And so when the queen said this to her daughter, in essence what she was saying to her is remember what your identity is. And remember, people relate to you that way. You know, it would be the same uh, for my daughter, Gabby. You know, I know she wants to be a teenager. She wants to be free and she wants to just express herself any which way she wants. But on Sunday specifically, when we have church, you know, there's a certain expectation. Because here's the point. Like it or not, people identify her as the pastor's daughter. And therefore, they relate to her that way. And so she needs to embrace, I mean, it would be, and I know she has, but it would be in her best interest to embrace that identity and live in that identity because otherwise, you know, she would disgrace us, she would disgrace herself and not set the example that sadly and unfortunately sometimes is too high that people set on children of pastors, you know. But the point is, is, is that that's an example of that. Another example that I can give you is, you know, Helena taking on my last name when we got married. Now, she could have kept hers and just double barrel mine, uh, but she, did, she wanted to take my last name. We both felt that, you know, that's what God wanted. She definitely wanted that. And so why did she take on my last name? Like most of you wives do, you take on your, last, uh, <laughs> on your, on your husband's last name. 
Why is that? Well, I know that Helena did that is because she wanted to make sure that people would identify with her correctly and as a result would also relate to her correctly. Because by saying she's Mrs. Bravo or you could say Reverend Bravo then or Pastor Bravo, then you know, people, specifically from my point of view, other men would understand, okay, she's married, so I need to identify with, that, with her that way and respect her, not try and hit on her or try and pick her up. And believe you me, through the years of marriage, people have tried to do that. It's just weird to me sometimes, you know, how someone knows that they, someone's married, but they'll still try and make moves. But anyway, and so, but they can, uh, that's why she did that. And so therefore, people would relate to her as Mrs. Bravo, as someone who is married. You see, and this is what I'm talking about. Biblically speaking, God identifies with us in Jesus and he relates to us that way. So that's what I want to make sure we understand with that. Let's go and have a look at John 14 verse 20 from the New Living Translation. This is speaking about Jesus and we're now going to explore a little bit more about identity. Jesus speaking here and he says, When I am raised to life again, you will know, watch this, that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Now, just looking at that, try and use your imagination and picture what that looks like, specifically that last part, the ones that I've got emboldened there. He says that he is in us, and we are in him, and he is in the Father, right? He says that. So in other words, God sees Jesus in himself, and he sees you in Jesus, and he sees Jesus in you. Sounds like a mathematical formula, doesn't it? <laughs> well, I have an illustration here that I want to show you. And we're going to put that verse up at the bottom of the screen so you can see it. We're going to leave it there while I'm doing the illustration because I want to make sure we capture this truth here. He says, I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. So I'm going to illustrate that to you now. So here I have three envelopes and I also have a piece of card. Okay. Now, <clears throat> what these are going to represent is exactly what we've seen over there. The one is going to represent the Father. The other one is going to represent Jesus. And the other one is going to represent you. Okay? And the card is Jesus. Alright. So, now that we've done that, when you receive salvation in Jesus. Now, when I say you, I'm talking about me as well, okay? When you receive salvation in Jesus, that's you. It says that Jesus is in you. So let's put Jesus in you. And there you are. You are filled with Jesus. So that's you. That's what happens when you receive salvation. He is now in you. That's what he said there. Then it says that you are in him. So you are placed in Jesus. So here we go, the envelope of Jesus. So you are <laughs> in him, Jesus. And then what did Jesus say? He says that he is in the Father. He says, I'm in the Father. So let's take the Father 
And let's place, place Jesus in the Father. And there you are. So when you look at this, <coughs> for anyone or anything to get through to you, to get to you at least, what do they have to do? Well, first they're going to face the Father, right? And <laughs> once that's happened, they're going to face Jesus, right? And then eventually they'll get to you. But when they look in you, <laughs> they're going to find that you are full of Jesus. So at the end of the day, really and truly, <laughs> by the time they think they got to you, all they do is they end up getting to Jesus. Amen? Because you are full of Jesus. And so in essence, that's what Jesus is saying about your identity and your life. That's the power of your identity and your life. He explains all that so we can understand. Man, you know what? You are there just as a vessel. But in truth, yes, you are an individual. You are an individual spirit. But in truth, you are so full and surrounded and filled and and, and everything else encapsulated within the Father and Jesus, that it is literally impossible for anyone to try and pick on anything that was in Adam or the old identity, because you have been redeemed. Amen? Isn't that powerful? So when God sees you, He sees you full of Jesus. Why? Because He identifies you as Jesus. That's what I want to show you in this. No matter which way you look at it, your identity is always in Jesus. The way God sees Jesus is the way He sees you. Amen. And look at Galatians 2 verse 20, which actually brings this truth here. And I want to show you something else here about that. Paul says here, and understanding the truth that I've just shown you and illustrated to you, he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, watch this, but Christ liveth in me. See that? He's going through the envelopes here. And the life which I now live in the flesh, in other words, in this body, watch this. This is so powerful here. I live by the faith, look at that next word, of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, let's leave that on for a moment because I want to discuss the little of. Most other modern translations get that word wrong. And what they do is they change it from of, from the original, and put it as in. And you know, the minute, even though it may seem, seem insignificant, the minute you put it as in, and you say, I live by, the f by faith in Jesus, in the Son of God, now it means that you've got to put in the effort, you've got to make it happen, you've got to build up faith, it's, it's what you come up with. And that's not what this is saying. It's saying the new identity life that, that you live in Jesus is not by your faith, but what you can come up in believing. It is by the faith of Jesus. It is His faith that placed you in Jesus. Amen. So think about it. This new identity that you received, and how you've been encapsulated and filled with Jesus and God, it was done by Jesus' faith. Because think about it. When He went through the cross, when He gave His life and He was resurrected, Whose faith was at work to believe that he will be resurrected, to believe that he will endure all the suffering and take the, the, the Son of the world upon himself and bring forgiveness? All of that, whose faith was at work believing that that would happen? Jesus. That's why it is his faith that gave you this new identity. 
So it's not your faith. It's not on the basis of what you do, what you don't do, how strong you believe, how you, you know, you, the less you doubt and, you know, this and that. No. I mean, you've heard sayings, you know, uh, something about doubt, you know, doubt and go without. <laughs> That's not true. That's not gospel truth. Because this is done by the faith of Jesus. So your new identity and your new life in Jesus was achieved, if you will, was possible by His faith. And this is why your identity before God, your life before God in Jesus is irrevocable. It cannot be changed. It cannot be altered. You know, you may have low days, high days, whatever you go through in life, your identity does not change. Believe you me, there's been some mornings where I've woken up and I've listened to myself and I think, well, I still say can't and I still use all these, you know, uh, South African terms and, you know, just ways of human and all that. So, yeah, you know, maybe I'm not just as American as I think. Well, you know what? I can have whatever accent. I can carry on and question myself how much I want. The fact is, is that I am an American citizen because I have my passport, I have my ID and everything else that goes with it. So the point is, is, is that regardless of what you feel, what you may go through in life, when you feel at your prime, when you don't feel at your prime with God, your identity, your life in Jesus doesn't change because it was achieved and done by His faith. Amen. Doesn't that just bring a whole load off, a whole lot of legalism and junk that we've been taught before? You see, your identity in Jesus is not the result of your faith, but His faith. Amen. It is upheld and maintained by His faith. This right here, this illustration I've shown you, is upheld and maintained by the faith of Jesus, not yours. So it's never going to change. It's never going to alter. Amen. I know that some of us have been taught differently, but let me tell you, that's mixing law and grace. That's law. That's not gospel truth. And I'm not trying to act all self-righteous here. We're learning, but we've left, right? Praise God. And so let's have a look at um, 1 John 4.17, which we're very familiar with, but let's have a look at it from the voice translation this time. Remember in the King James, it says, as he is, so are we at the end of that verse. But I love the way the voice translation puts it. Watch this to bring this truth home. It's a, which is also correctly translated from the original, by the way. It says, This love is fulfilled with us, so that on the day of judgment, watch this, we have confidence, talking about the believer, based on our identification with Jesus in this world. See, that's a different dimension of truth being brought across here from the original. It says, we have confidence on the day of judgment when we face God, because we're not going to be judged for our sin. It was all judged on the cross, right? So we are going to have confidence, but also because we had confidence in this world that our identification was based on the identification we received, we got from Jesus when we received salvation which is maintained by his faith. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Praise God. I mean, God sees you and Jesus as one and the same. Isn't that true? I mean, come on now. Let's take you out of the Father. Here you are in Jesus. Let's take you out of, first of all, you're in Jesus. And let's take you out of that. And if we try and do, separate you from it, well, you fill with Jesus. So honestly, God sees you and Jesus as one and the same. And that's never going to change. Praise God. You can reject salvation and it'll sadly, irrevocably change it. But 
Who in the right mind would want to do that understanding this truth? Amen. So when God looks at Jesus, or should I say, God looks at Jesus, not Adam, for your identity. When God sees you, the identity he sees is the identity of Jesus, not Adam, because Adam is nowhere in here. Amen. Jesus didn't say Adam was in there, because he's not, and you are not. Praise, uh, praise God in Adam, that is. Let's have a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, from the Passion Translation. Now, this is Paul speaking here, and in the King James, he says, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. But look how the Passion Translation puts it. He says, I want you, watch us, to pattern your lives after me. And then he says, how? Just as I pattern mine after Christ. And like I said, the King James says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, which is what it means to pattern your life. In other words, don't try and live by how the people tell you, by how religion tells you, by how whatever teaching, you know, religious teaching tells you. What basically he's saying is, is that live by gospel truth because I believe I'm living by gospel truth. He's being humble here. And he says, you know, just do what I do because I believe I have revelation of truth. And so that's the same thing for us here. Pattern your life after Christ. Amen. And so if we are going to relate to God by our new identity in Jesus, then we must also act like it. Isn't that in essence what Paul is saying? If you understand and have the revelation of your new identity and you're going to relate to God and you know that God relates to you that way, then you know what? Act like it. And what does that look like? Well, you know, quite honestly, have confidence in that. It's not maintained by your faith. It's His faith. So you know what? No matter what you're going through, your identity is the same. Your life before God is the same. Act like it. Have that confidence. Will people judge you? Will people tell you, oh, you know, you just, that's your crutch. Or you just, you don't know how to have a conscience, whatever, whatever they want to say. I mean, people have said to me, well, you know what? Technically, you weren't really born in the United States. And you know, the first time someone said that to me, it hurt me. But I didn't respond. I didn't react. You know, and later that day, I was having a conversation with God. And I said, Lord, that's hurtful. What do I do with that? <laughs> and he's the one that reminded me and said, remind them in future that the United States forefathers, your forefathers as a nation, were not born in the United States. So you are as American as they are, and they are as American as they are, and that settles it. And I thought, powerful stuff. Well, it's the same thing here. No matter what you go through, no matter what people tell you, how they judge you, what they try, how they try and define you, say, oh, well, you've got an accent, so whatever. <laughs> At the end of the day, you know, you have new identity in Jesus and therefore act like it because that is your identity. It's maintained by his faith. Amen. So now I want to give you another illustration here to help us bring that truth home. All right. For you sports fans, here we go. You're going to like this one. Now, <clears throat> if you're a sports fan and even if you're not a sold out sports fan, we all like some team. You know, whether it's football, basketball, whatever it is, baseball, whatever the team is, we all have a team that we like. We have a favorite. But if you're a solid sports fan, you definitely have a team. And I've been around some of those folks. I mean, they can get upset if you don't support the same team or if you say anything other than their team. And so, but you know, what makes someone such a fan? It's because they identify with their favorite team. They identify with them. 
That's why it's their favorite team. That's why they wear the, the gear of the team. They wear the caps, the shoes, the shirts. They watch every game. They cheer. They have things on their car. The conversation is, you know, just filled with, with their favorite team. Why is that? Because they've decided to identify with that team. Amen. And so, you know, when they win, you'll hear them scream out and say, yes, we won. They'll put it on social media. They'll phone you. They'll text you. And they'll say, man, we won. Wasn't that awesome? And in your mind, you're thinking, well, you didn't even play. You sat on your couch and you watched the game eating, you know, tortillas and whatever else <laughs> you were eating. Chips, chips and queso. And you'll think, well, you didn't even play. But yet, because they identify with the team, they say, we won. Why? Because they identify with the team. Amen. And so what the kind of thing that they would say to the losing team is, Haha, they'll laugh and they'll say, we beat you, man. We beat you real good. Okay, you didn't beat them. But because you identify with the team, their victory is your victory. And of course, you gloat in your, vic in your victory. Amen. So in your heart and mind, you completely identify with your favorite team. That's why you see what they do as you, as yours. And you thrive in the victory and you mourn in the loss if ever that happens. Isn't that so? And so the point is this. It should be the same. I mean, that's a mild example. But at least if you want to find a way to relate to what we've just read there, what he just said there, as far as, you know, imitate me as I imitate Christ, imitate Christ. It should be the same with your identity in Jesus. So he is victorious, therefore you are victorious over sin, right? He's victorious over temptation, so you are victorious over temptation. He is healthy, so you are healthy. He is whole, so you are whole. He is loved completely by the Father unconditionally, and so you are completely loved and uncondition unconditionally loved by the Father. He's accepted by the Father. You're accepted by the Father. Why? Because His victory is your victory. Because you identify with Him. That's what Paul is saying. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. In other words, pattern your life after His. That's what it means. That's how you identify with Jesus. So if you've ever identified with a team of any sorts, or with any club, with anything, with any organization, then you know what? You know how to identify with someone. And therefore, you need to just transfer that and identify the same way with Jesus. Yes, Jesus went to the cross. Yes, he went through that horrible punishment. Yes, he gave up his life. Yes, he rose from the dead. You may have been sitting on the couch, but when you said and put your faith and said, I receive salvation in Jesus, his victory became your victory. You now identify with him. Do the same thing. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. And so when it comes to the enemy, you should say the same thing. You know what? I beat you. We beat you. Talking about you and Jesus. I am victorious over you. You are defeated in my life. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for you. And because you identify with him, that's your victory too. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. So the same way that you identify with your favorite sports team, you should identify with Jesus. Amen. That's another way to understand that. Matthew 4 verse 3. Talking about Satan and Jesus here, when Satan tried to tempt Jesus. Watch this now. Matthew 4 verse 3. Now when the tempter, that's Satan, came to him, that's Jesus, he said, watch this now, what I've emboldened there. If you are the Son of God, command these, that these stones become bread. 
Notice how Satan was trying to get Jesus to question and doubt his identity. That's why he zeroed in on that and he said, if you are the Son of God. In other words, question it, doubt it. Why did he do that? So he could defeat him. So he could take him off what he really was. And you know, the same thing is going to come our way. He's going to try and make us question, well, you know, you messed up so bad. And just look at you. Look at your life. Look at the kind of person you are. Look at how you treat people sometimes. Look at, you know, how others are towards you. I mean, you, you don't even do this. You don't even go to church. I mean, this, he'll give you a long list to say, if you have identity in Jesus, then do this. He'll also test your faith. He'll also test you with signs, wonders, and miracles. And what do you do? You do what Jesus did. What did he do? We see that in verse 4. Watch this. Matthew 4 verse 4. But he answered, that's talking about Jesus to Satan. He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now I want to I want you to ask you to pay close attention to that. Remember, Satan said, if you are the Son of God, in his reply, and this happened three times, th three times, as you know, but in his reply, do you see Jesus at all going into his identity and saying, well, because I am the Son of God, or yes, I am the Son of God, and so it is written. Do you see him doing that? Not at all. He doesn't even address the question of his identity what he does is he addresses the issue of biblical truth about miracle signs and wonders and living by God's word. Do you see that? He didn't even pay attention to the question of his identity. Why? Because he is so identified with it. He is so solid in it. It didn't even bother him. And I mean, it's the truth with, with us. Isn't that so? I mean, if someone were to come to me and say, are you really bravo? You know what? I'm so identified with that because of my heritage. You can carry on all day long you want, if you want about bravo. I know that I am. So I'm not even going to bother trying to justify and explain myself to you why I'm a bravo. You'll just have to get over yourself. That's what I am. So I'll address the peripheral issues that you know, will help you understand gospel truth. But I'm not going to justify myself why I am what I am. Because that is what I am. And that's exactly what you see here in the heart of Jesus. And so when it comes to your identity, that's exactly how you need to approach it. Address the peripheral issues, the doctrine issues. But as far as your identity goes, not even worth it. Amen. Because that's who you are. So never allow anyone or anything to make you question or doubt your identity in Jesus. And God's people said, Amen. I hope you said Amen. I heard some of those Amens there. Let me give you another illustration to bring that truth home. To help us understand it. Now I'm going to do it from a negative point of view. But to show you how we should be solidified in our identity in Jesus. Think about, and you know these days you don't really see this much anymore. So, so many of them have shut down and gone out of business. But I know that as a boy growing up, going to the circus was a big thing. It was a big event of the year because, you know, in South Africa specifically, there was one major circus that would travel around the nation. And we knew we had the calendar 
and my mom would get the calendar. She would get it mailed to her. And she knew when they were going to be in town so that she could take me and my younger sister to the circus to go and enjoy and have this wonderful experience. And so, you know, when you think about a circus, one of the highlights that they had, one of the things that I really wanted to see, because as a child, one of the stories that I was very familiar with, scriptural or not, I was very familiar with it, and my mom read to me, was Dumbo. You remember Dumbo, the flying elephant? He flew with his ears. Well, so he was an elephant. So when my mom said, you, we are going to see elephants at the circus, I mean, my eyes just lit up and went big, and I couldn't wait for the day to come. And so, you know, we would go to the circus, and there was a time or two when my mom took us a little earlier, just to make sure we got a good seat, but also so that we could see, you know, the whole circus, the, the vibe in the circus, the atmosphere, and just pick up on that. And so I remember this one day when we went, I saw the elephant, a huge elephant, and he, one of his paws, one of his legs, was, had a chain around it, and it was chained to a pole. And I remember looking at that and thinking to myself, I mean, as young as I was, I remember thinking to myself, you know, that elephant is so strong and so heavy that if he really wanted to, he could just yank that chain off, that pole. I mean, that pole was literally just, you know, hammered in, <laughs> real solid, but it was hammered in to the ground because that's what they did everywhere they went. And I thought if he really wanted to, he could just pull that thing off. And I thought maybe they're just not that smart. Maybe they just don't think that way. And so I remember, you know, just pulling on my mom's um, top and I said to her mom, and I said that to her. And she said to me, son, she said, you know, something to this effect. She said, the reason why that elephant doesn't break free and in his mind, he thinks he cannot break free is because <clears throat> they trained them from the time that they're young, when they're weak, when they're not strong enough to pull it off the pole. They put it on them and they train them that that thing is, is designed to keep you in bondage. So what they do, and I remember my mom saying all this to me. She said they literally alter the elephant's identity. They literally remove that identity of this mighty strong animal. And they make them think that he's this weak, designed to be in bondage beast. And that's why they don't break away from it. Now, you know, since then, I've seen clips where some elephants just lost it because they were mistreated so bad, and they actually ripped the thing out and went around, sadly, you know, killing people in the town. But the point is, is, is that most elephants responded that way, no matter how big and how heavy and how strong they got, is because that's the way they were conditioned. Their identity was altered. That's what I'm trying to draw your attention to here. And so because of that, that elephant didn't live in its identity and didn't enjoy and experience its identity. And it's the same thing when it comes to our identity in Jesus. Don't let anyone or anything put you in bondage and alter your identity about who you are in Jesus and put you in bondage and make you think, you know, this is where you are. And you know you can break free. You know you're strong enough. But you don't do it because your mind has been altered. Your thinking has been altered. Your belief has been altered to make you think that you don't have this mighty, powerful identity in Jesus. Amen. And we need to realize that we have this mighty and awesome identity in Jesus. So we need to break free from that. Break free from that. Amen. Don't live. I mean, in essence, if you think about it, 
those el- that elephant that I was looking at, really and truly, the reason why he stayed in bondage is because he had an identity crisis. Isn't that so? That's what it means to have an identity crisis. And what I'm saying to you in this illustration today is, is don't let anyone or anything cause you to live with an identity crisis and not the identity that God has given you in Jesus. Because then you will be put in bondage, you will live a defeated life, and you'll go around questioning your identity. Don't let him do that. Amen. Praise God. All right, let's have a look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23 and 24 from the NIV translation. I trust that this is blessing someone, that it's helping someone. Notice what it says in verse 23 and 24 from the NIV. It says, to be made new, watch this, in the attitude of your minds. You see, your mindset, your attitude. And, watch this, now you know it's talking about identity, and to put on the new self. So it's talking about the new identity in Jesus. Created, watch this, to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So your identity in Jesus is like God's. It is truly holy, truly righteous. And it says you need to make sure you have the right attitude in your mind and be sure that you always wear that identity. See that? So if there's any effort involved, if there's anything we need to do, is we need to enforce the truth that we live by, that we stand in. Amen? Which is, have the attitude. In other words, act like it. And your mind... Let it be settled on the fact that you have new identity and put it on. Put it on every single day, every single moment. Put it on and keep it on. Amen. Because you are like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's where you are in this whole thing. Amen. Praise God. So that's what he's saying to us. Now, what I want to do is, in other words, what he's saying here, in essence, you could say that just like we identify with our favorite team, we need to identify more so with Jesus. And don't be like that elephant that has an identity crisis. Let's live by our identity. And I'm just so full of illustrations today. I want to give you another one. And this is based on a true story, by the way. And so, <clears throat> talking about identity here. Now, during the Civil War here in the United States, and I think it took place between 1861 and 1865. I think it was around five years or so that the Civil War went on. And you know what that was about, so I'm not going to get into that. But during that Civil War, there was, um, what happened was is, is that all capable men were drafted by the Northern Union. So all men who were capable of fighting and going to war, they were all drafted, because this was a big thing. It needed to ha- happen and they needed victory, right? And so draftees, those who were drafted, were given... Three options as far as going to war or not going to war. They were given three options. Option number one was to go fight in the war. Option number two was to find someone to take their place. Can you believe that? It was given to them as an option. And number three, the third option, is is that they could pay a $300 commutation fee to escape that round of drafting. Meaning that if they were drafted again and again, they would have to pay 300 each time. Now, you know, you may say, well, $300, that doesn't sound so bad. We can come up with that. Well, that's 1860-something. 
in today's currency, today's value, it would be around 10,000 US dollars. So imagine every time you draft it, paying 10,000. I mean, who's got that lying around just freely, you know, <laughs> however many times they try and draft you. But nonetheless, they were given those three options. So either go, go to war, find someone to take your place, or pay a 300 equivalent to 10,000 today commutation fee for this round. We can't guarantee you that you're not going to be drafted again. And so, you know, just some interesting facts. <coughs> of the 750,000, that's almost a million, 750,000 men that were drafted in the 1963 and 64, that's one draft, uh, draft. Only about, try and see and guess how many you think went to war actually. Only about 46,000, that's 6%, actually went to war because they found a way to pick one of the other options. So either they found someone else to take their place or they paid the $300, the equivalent to 10000 today. So 6% of the 100% drafted went to war. And praise God <laughs> that it was a victory, amen. But I say all that to say this, talking about identity here. There was a man by the last name of Pratt. And so what Mr. Pratt, he was drafted. And he did not want to go to war. And he did not want to pay, you know, the equivalent of 10000 for e for each draft. And so what he did is, and I don't have the specifics of how he did it, but I'm guessing that he paid him off a one-time fee. But he found a Mr. White to take his place in the draft and go to war for him, but also meaning as him. Because remember, they could find someone to take their place. So Mr. Pratt got Mr. White to go in his place, to go for him and as him. And he went to war. Long story short, Mr. White got killed in war. Sad, right? So the next draft comes around and Mr. Pratt gets drafted again. And so what Mr. Pratt does is he takes the agreement that he had and he signed with Mr. White, signed by both, and he took it to the draft board and explained to them, that this new draft of him was invalid. And the reason for that is because he had already vicariously died in Mr. White. <laughs> and he didn't go to war. And I mean, you know, you can argue the technicalities and go to court and this and that, and I don't know how you feel about it, but that's what happened then. And so Mr. Pratt was not redrafted again because vicariously through Mr. White, he had died in war and could not be rafted again. Now, you know, I, I don't, uh, we all have opinions on that. But the point, going back to what I'm sharing with you today, is that in terms of identity, well, that's exactly what happened between us and Jesus. Jesus went in our place. He went for us and as us, took our sin upon himself, died with it and for it, and our all identity in fallen Adam, our sinful life, and then he rose to give us new life and identity. So no matter what life throws at you, no matter what comes on and, you know, <clears throat> Satan tries to redraft you and remind you of this and that in Adam, all you need to do is just show him the agreement that you have, that God has with Jesus about you, which is your agreement. Show him that agreement and say, you know, 
All this was taken care of at the cross. The resurrection gave me new life and identity. You cannot redraft me. When temptation comes your way, when religious teaching, legalistic teaching tries to tell you that you can lose that and this and that and because you're doing this, because you're not doing that, you just say, you know, I'm sorry, you can't redraft me. <laughs> I'm dead. I died with Jesus. I died in Jesus and with Jesus. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. So don't let anyone or anything tell you otherwise about your identity in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 24. There's something else that I want to show you here from the King James. We've already looked at this now, but I want to show you something else here. <clears throat> it says, And that ye, remember it said, put on the new man. In other words, put on the new identity, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So what he is saying here, as I said earlier, is put it on and keep it on. What is he talking about? Your identity in Jesus. Put on your identity in Jesus and keep it on. That's in essence the encouragement here, the exhortation. And that's my exhortation to you today. After having shared everything I've shared with you today, put it on, keep it on. <laughs> right? And guess what? I have another little illustration that I want to share with you <laughs> to make that point. <laughs> now, think about this. <clears throat> when you take a shower or a bath and you clean real good, <clears throat> I remember when we lived in a house and we had a yard. You know, I enjoy doing my yard work. So I would mow the lawn, trim the edges, pick up, blow, clean it up real good. I loved it. My doggy loved it. The family loved it. And it was real fun. But as you know, here in Texas, especially in the summer, it gets real hot, real humid. And man, I'm telling you, whenever I did my yard work, I would come back in, my clothes would be soaking wet with uh, sweat, and I would smell like I don't even want to describe it know how. But also I was dirty and everything else, and I couldn't wait to cool down and get in the shower. And so I would go and shower. But let me tell you something that I didn't do. When I was real clean and I came out of the shower, I didn't say, Helena, can you please pass me those clothes that I had on when I was doing the yard work? <laughs> That would be like a defiance to me. I would refuse to put on those clothes again. They would go in the wash and they would get washed and that's it. Isn't that so? You don't put on the same dirty clothes that you had on before you had a bath or a shower, do you? No, you put on fresh, clean clothes. Amen. And this is what this is saying here. Do the same thing with your identity in Jesus. The identity and life you had in Adam, the identity specifically that you had in Adam was dirty. It's old, it's worn, it's done. You've taken it off. Jesus dealt with that. And you've been washed by the blood of Jesus. And so you've come out clean on the other side, righteous and holy. Why would you want to put those dirty clothes back on? No, you put on the new man, the new identity. Amen. That's the way we need to see our identity in Jesus. I mean, look at this in 1 John 7, the second part of this verse. Look at what it says. It says, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, watch this, cleanses us from all sin. So not only does it cleanse us once, but it continues to cleanse us. This is why we can continue enjoying new identity and new life in Jesus. So the blood of Jesus cleanses you. Why would you, would you want to put on the old man? Amen. Powerful stuff, don't you agree? And so just like you would never consider putting on 
the dirty clothes that you had on before you cleaned up. In the same way, never consider putting on your old identity in Adam again. It's done, it's gone, it's a dealt issue, it's over. Just put on your new identity in Jesus. Because who you were in Adam is just not your identity anymore. Amen. Just like me trying to do business and do documents and official things, I cannot do it with my old identity as a South African, as much as I love and appreciate it. I have to do it in my new identity as an American citizen, right? And in the same way, that's the way you live your life. You put it on, you keep it on, because you've been washed by the blood of Jesus. Amen. Not by your merit, your performance, but the blood of Jesus. And you know, if anything is going to try and get you back into the identity you had in Adam, it's going to be law. It's going to be legalistic teaching. It's going to be teaching that mixes law and grace. Because here's the point. Law is designed to expose us in Adam. Isn't that so? But grace is designed to expose us in Jesus. Law will always expose you in Adam. But grace will always expose you in Jesus. Put it on. Keep it on. Amen. We trust that you are blessed by this message. For more information about our ministry or to make a donation to help us continue spreading the gospel, please visit our website at redemptioninjesus.com.